You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What's up, Downers? Welcome back to the show. Uh, my guest today, his name is Joel Buchelman. Joel works at Google. He's done a, a bunch of different things, but he's in the tech industry. He's kind of a buddy of mine that I talk to just sometimes just thinking out loud or wondering what's going on over in that world. I have a little bit of interest in tech and future and whatever that kind of stuff and so he's kind of my tether to that universe so i thought it'd be interesting to have him on to discuss a few things today i think you will like the episode Uh, before we get rolling i want to tell you the things that i want to promote overtly and that is my band matt and toby i do a project with him we just had a record come out and all i want you to do is check it out on spotify or whatever streaming service you use i like spotify so go to spotify and find the matt and toby album the album is called i quit church it's got some original songs on it and some songs that toby and i do when we sing or play at church just hymns and some things that we like uh in that department and i think the album is terrific uh zach boland produced it and it's just wonderful. It's one of my favorite things to listen to that I've ever done. And that's partly because somebody else did most of the recording. So it's very, very pleasant for me to listen to. We've gotten a lot of good feedback thus far. So go bookmark it, become a Spotify user or follower of ours on there. Uh, and also, if you didn't catch it, we released the book about Emory that Aaron Lunsford wrote. Aaron's the drummer from As Cities Burn, knows us super well. And he wrote an insider's account of what the band Emory is like and all about. I call it an unauthorized biography because you know we didn't control what he wrote in it and i don't like everything he wrote in it so we but we allowed him to do it and cooperated and it's kind of it's kind of embarrassing at times but i think you'll get a kick out of if you want to know a little bit more about us deeply as people and how we work and how the band operates from someone with a strong opinions point of view uh the book is really terrific i get a kick out of reading it um you can get that at emorymusic.com as well as some more tour dates. We announced some dates that are in the Northeast and stuff like that coming up in November. So those are $10 shows, I believe. Are they $10 shows? Yep, $10 shows still we're doing. So come see us if you're in the Northeast, uh, emorymusic.com. And then, again, just go listen to the Matt and Toby record on Spotify. Uh, I've got a Patreon page if you want to support this podcast. We have a few people over there that actually give some money to help this thing get created, and I appreciate that very much. And a Facebook group that you do not have to pay to be into. It's free. You don't have to be a Patreon supporter. You can just find the Break It Down Facebook group on, you know, on Facebook.com, that is. And you can interact with us there we're going to try and get a little community going of like-minded people that are interested in similar stuff but you do not have to be a patreon member to do that but those guys are in there as well all right we'll get right to the episode today with joel y'all have a good one break it down dada break it down oh break it down break it down oh break it down break it down oh So there's a ton of stuff I want to talk about with you, Joel, um, and I almost don't even know where to start. But just right off the bat, you're at Google. Are you at Google headquarters right now? Uh, I am at Google Irvine in Orange County. 
And so the headquarters in Silicon Valley, you know, but what do you call yeah. what, what do you call the place you're at? Just the, they just have different campuses. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of campuses. I'm in the I'm technically in the Los Angeles office as my headquarters, and then I live by the Irvine office, so I duck in here when I don't want to commute. And then there's the headquarters, which is Mountain View, mm-hmm. which is the majority of the company. But then there's San Francisco, and then every other major city. There's usually at least some regional salesmen or engineers in most major cities. Yeah, we got people up here in Seattle for sure. I run yeah, Seattle's huge right now too. Seattle's mm-hmm. blowing up in, in every way, yeah. So I know you've done a bunch of different things at Google, but what is your title now? So I am technically and officially a senior interaction designer Mm -hmm. uh, for Chrome on the desktop. So at Google, there's like interaction designers, visual designers, motion designers. um, And so they all kind of overlap quite a bit depending on the team composition. But currently, I'm on the interaction designer track. Great, great. And you live down there in Irvine. Yes, and you got what do you got? Three kids? Yeah, three boys, one, three, and five. Mm-hmm, very good. And one of them's just pretty little. You got a one year, not even a yeah. one year old. Yeah, he just turned one a little bit ago, so it's it's a uh, hectic. You know, yeah, it's busy. Yeah, my Jerry, my daughter's just turns one like in two weeks, so we're Crazy. through the the hardest time of that. But it, we're, we're glad to move on. So yes, um, you know, I know a lot of people here in Seattle that work at Facebook and some Google, and obviously mm-hmm. a ton of Microsoft people. And Amazon. Oh, yeah, not even to mention Amazon. But these people work insane. And, you know, they work insane. Like, they don't come home. Like, I I feel like a lot of them don't see their kids. What's that? How's that for you and your balance and stuff? Is it different company to company or what? uh, It's definitely different company to company. You know, it's been a big criticism of Amazon and their culture, uh, as well as Apple. I've had some friends that have worked at Apple, and they're pretty hardcore about it. People in general that do exist inside of that construct, like are pretty positive about it because they love what they do. They mm-hmm. um, want to be at work. I don't think it's much of a forced thing, but that I, that's just anecdotal for me and the companies I've worked for. Both Netflix and Google for me have been very sensitive in um, providing autonomy for me and like what I want mm-hmm. out of life. If you want to bust your ass and work hard, you'll definitely be able to do that and will succeed because of it. Um, one of the reasons me and my wife moved down out of that area was because we almost felt guilty for going out to dinner with our family because everyone was still working. out at work or networking at the bar, right? And so there yeah. was a different pace of life and people thought I was weird that I was in my 20s and had three kids. And so mm-hmm. it, culturally, it's very different, similar to like New York where people work real hard and very career focused and um, hours as far as when you're at work is very different. Yeah. The people, some of them, the ones that I know, like they got, and maybe it has to do with the role you're in, or like you said, you can do it lots of different ways, but there's a little bit of a, a dichotomy from what I understand in tech culture. It's like, is it the thing where it's a bunch of beach balls and goofy games <laughs> and nobody working and lounging on in the roof at the, in the wife, park? Or, or is it some grindy yeah. thing where you're working hard? No, and, you know? It's My wife says it's like that movie Big. Yeah. When when he makes like his apartment in New York, right. it is like there's arcade machines here and there's like a there's ball pits and stupid. Ch- I mean, I I get a massage every other week because it's like thirty bucks for an hour and that's a benefit mm-hmm. that we have here. Um, there are like I don't understand the people at Google playing volleyball at like one o'clock in the <laughs> right, afternoon because right, exactly. for me it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna get my shit done and go home. Uh, so I think there's part of that of people like living in that culture and wanting mm-hmm. to be at work. Uh, I'm almost always leaving at five. Uh, if you, a lot of it's like 
being your own like subcontractor and then if you you know set your own schedule and make your make sure you're getting your job done um, most people don't um, ask questions but that is like from the context of design I know that engineering can be very different I know if like people are involved in hardware like hardware deadlines are very different um, when you're launching and having a huge keynote announcing the next phone or, or computer you can't miss that deadline so mm-hmm. software is a little more fluid um, by nature but a couple of the guys I know do sales, and so I bet that's super grinding. Oh, uh, right? sure. I mean, I'm sales operations. I know there's a lot of like press that was released through Amazon. A lot of the people working in their like logistics business, which mm-hmm. was a lot more like hardcore. So, but in the context of like the product teams being project management, design, and engineering, um, I think a lot of times most of those people in those roles are on the more senior side and are less micromanaged, and which gives you more autonomy or Mm -hmm. the ability to work your ass off. So there's a bunch of topics I'd like to talk about with you. And the reason it's helpful to talk to you is because I think of you just as like a a friend or somebody I know. So I feel like I'm calibrated to interpret your answers. So this is less about tech. It's more about me filtering my type of questions and and thoughts through somebody that I know, which is kind of what works good in podcasting. If you think about it, that's what people are doing. Like mind is in this space. Like you're always like we've had like long thread messages and like random late night calls about tech just because I think you're in tune to it and observe it and have a keen eye for the things that are happening where most people are like, I'm not technical. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And you kind of are the, the, you know, the converse of that. Well, I'm interested in it, but I don't, I mean, it's just, it's, it's quite interesting. I mean, it's an interesting yeah, world. I so. Like I don't, I don't know that I'd <laughs> want to work in it. Um, I don't think because I don't, it, it freaks me out to think of even having a job or a boss to be honest, but that's sure. what's so interesting. Sometimes I hear like, it just seems like this really fluid fruity creative environment where stuff's happening and i'm just trying to sort out what is it what is it really what's really going on there and between the different platforms and stuff like that here's here's one thing i wanted to talk about is is it like it's like a it's like this whole side of culture like the influence that is in silicon valley or just tech Mm -hmm. in general amazon whatever it seems like it's so profound and, and there's only a few individuals controlling like where our whole culture is go- is heading. And that's what's so interesting about it to me is like what technologies do y'all, I mean, there's so much stuff that I know people that work in tech that they can't even talk about. They can't even tell me at a party yeah. about. And so I'm just thinking these yeah. are people that I know and there's only Jeff Bezos and these guys and a few people and Google who like have all this stuff and it's massively shaping of what our future is going to be like. And that's, I don't know if that's scary or not. Yeah, I think, I think it is. Um, there's like the cultural part of it that is controlling. Mm-hmm. And then there's the actual, the significant impact of tech, right? Be it good or bad. Mm-hmm. And so for me, being a part of Google, and working at other companies, realizing how little many, like how little people are there. Like when you get in there and there's, only so many people solving this big problem. You're like, mm-hmm. shit, it's just us. Yeah. Like it's, this is it. Like there's no magic people in this white room that are going to help me figure this out. Um, and so there's a lot of ownership and onus on the people there to take responsibility, um, make things for the right reasons, understand why you're making the decisions you're making. And there is a huge responsibility of that. And I, and I think sometimes tech does it well and sometimes they do it bad. Um, on the cultural side, I think now you have Apple which I consider just as much a fashion company as a tech company. Um, they define what cool is. They have celebrities on stage. Um, 
and it it, it is a, a just as much of a cultural um, voice as music or film or anything that that you know pushes people to mm-hmm. culture, pop culture. Yeah, and so do you know like a bunch of stuff about the future and technology that you're not allowed to talk about, or some stuff? Yeah, some of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some things are obviously observable. Like you, you see trends in, you know, autonomous vehicles and, and VR and robotics and lots of things that are coming out. There's obviously stuff that is very material that um, I would know about or have access to. But there, I don't think there's – there are much more quiet um, – private areas that I wouldn't see that, that, you know, like Sundar or someone mm-hmm. at the top of the company would know about. And I'm sure those things are happening. So you, um, you know, some stuff that a person like me won't be able to know and you won't even be able to tell me. And then there's a whole nother level of people that know some real shit that you don't know yeah, that could be I mean, there's crazy. like, there's stuff that I'm working on that I probably couldn't tell you in a public mm-hmm. forum because it would be competitive to other companies. Mm-hmm. And then there's stuff that is just capabilities that tech has that no one really knows about. Um, and th- saying that they're private is, is sounds like malicious. Like there's these dark secrets that tech mm-hmm. has. That that might be the case. Um, I think it's more more often a, a competitive nature of of Amazon trying to be first to things mm-hmm. before Google, before Apple, before Facebook. Um, so like a like for instance, th- there could be some crazy technologies or AI developments that the general public just doesn't know about. Because I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was talking about. You know, it's possible that when AI is developed and general AI and really advanced stuff, that it won't be this kind of thing, that it might not even be used primarily as its own thing to sell or do. It may just be used to develop, like kept private. Like somebody could develop some interesting. you know, exponentially amazing AI like Google, and then therefore Google, by keeping that on lockdown, will continue to innovate other products way ahead of everybody else. So... It could be a proprietary thing that they could own these technologies that nobody even knows about. That's crazy. Because they're so big. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's just this difficulty, and in the project I'm working on now, there's this difficulty of trying to explain something highly technical to people that aren't very highly technical. Mm-hmm. And so even if Google wanted to disclose this AI that they had that personalized and made your search experience better, there's that's a really hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you say that briefly and then also convince a user or ask a user to say, yes, have my data or use, you know, see me on the web here or look at my email or whatever to improve my services. Mm-hmm. Um, that becomes, um, increasingly more difficult as things become more technical and like a part of everything that you touch. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I choose to work at Google cause I generally think that there is, um, I, I believe them. Like I drink the Kool-Aid that they actually are trying to do good things with tech. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to manipulate. And I think most companies are as well. They're they're definitely benefiting from it from a business perspective. Um, but I do think um, the majority of my interactions with people have uh, tr- wanted to do things the right way and for, you know be an advocate for the user. Um, designing designing with empathy is like a an overused term in my industry, um, but it's kind of critical when it comes down to. Um, designing at scale at a global level. So would you say with your inside knowledge of what is going on and coming down the pipeline and the character of Google and other tech companies, would you say that it, it's less scary than than some people may think the future may be here? From my perspective, I think it's a lot less scary. Yeah, but, I, th- I mean, I'm 
generally optimistic as I think you are towards new dev- I mean, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I see benefit in most of it. I think people are afraid of their privacy and I don't think people realize that they have none already. Yeah. I think, T- tell I think me, there's a lot of stop <laughs> there. Tell me about that. What, what do you mean? What privacy do people not have that they think they have currently? Well, I think one for just like from government in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, like, I think, uh, there is this, um, like, mother, like, what's the phrase of, like, there's this, like, generational perspective that having my credit card in my wallet is mm-hmm. safer than having it on the internet, mm-hmm. right? Or that because you have something printed in your that's file right. system in your home that is more secure than on the internet somewhere, and I think that's just not mm-hmm. true. Um, so I think there's these perceived, like, safeties um, or privacies that people have that just aren't true, and the internet and technology actually makes that better, but because they've kind of glamorized hackers and, um, you know, cybersecurity. It becomes things people are afraid of. Um, And so I think that's a fallacy. I I do, I am concerned at the rate of competition in tech uh, in the sense that there's a lot of fighting over platforms and like this winning winning versus that. And I don't think that's always in favor of the user. And so with that competition becomes like shortcuts for companies trying to get stuff out first. And that's fine when it's like your phone freezing up or like your Facebook's not loading. But when it comes to the point where like you have tech that's making sure you're getting the right medicine and like like that can't fuck up, mm-hmm. right? Like those things have to be done well. Um, banking, right? Like some of the worst apps are banking apps. And they're getting better. Mm-hmm. But that is something that should not be compromised, like iterative tech that should be validated yeah. and legit, right? Yeah, that's so that something, scares me a little bit. Yeah, that's something I was thinking about and heard something about recently is how we design like software and coding engineering is like unbelievably I don't know what there's a term for it but it's it's real bad as far as it's nothing but failures and bugs and things that you have to work out as it's as you're utilizing it in the real world which is if you yeah. think about it so different than let's say the NASA mission Apollo to the moon or whatever you they had to engineer that thing so much so that there would be the fir- very first time you do it there could be no error it's over engineered or correctly engineered it's engineered for absolutely no failures and software is just the opposite it, yeah the they like glamorize like fail fast yeah right? yeah um and that is their mo hardware I, as far as tech in a broader sense hardware is very similar where you once you have the molds and things are locked in you can't you can't iterate right you're shipping mm-hmm. that next iphone like samsung got hurt bad when their phone yeah. started exploding so tech isn't an, in every way that way, but definitely in software. And mm-hmm. I, and I think that that's not always appropriate for, um, for shipping. So, I mean, when I was on Android, it was very different. There's like a, at the quickest, a yearly cycle when they ship a new OS and there's a lot of testing on a lot of, um, concern about getting that right. But even still you can ship an update if you ship out, you know, right. A million phones with the with the bug. Well, the concern is that as stuff becomes more and more powerful, then that's more and more dangerous to have to, yes. to have bugs. And like, say, for instance, if we're developing AI and we're doing things that control people's medicine and autonomous mm-hmm. cars, yeah. we can't just have OS bugs in that stuff. Correct, and that, that I mean that's a legitimate concern. Even like on the on the topic of self driving cars, they're still going to be safer than the asshole looking at their phone driving, mm-hmm. right? Like even if they do ship software with bug or with bugs, like the cars that have been driving are safer statistically, right? It just becomes more of a liability conversation. Who's at fault? So you know, autonomous car kills your daughter. How do you deal with that? Right. 
Um, that's a different conversation than some drunk driver hit my daughter. Yeah, uh, I mean, still terrible, but and I think it will happen less with tech. But it's it's a it's a cultural thing that really is the hard part rather than technical. So I mean, if you get that beach ball while I'm trying to edit in Pro Tools, that's really frustrating. But if my car drives off the road, it has a beach ball. That's not that's not the yep. same thing, you know. Yeah, like, it's more about fault and blame, right, rather right. than the thing itself. It's I don't know how they'll handle it. Like I know that like when Lexus, I think Lexus had some crazy thing where they they said that they would be held liable for any, or they would insure all their cars and make sure mm-hmm. that they. But who cares if people are like getting hurt, right? So that. There is an efficacy thing there of, in general, if it's better for everyone, if it's you that gets the short end of the stick, it still sucks, right? Well, that's a freaky thought. Like, well, we're going to ship this. We're going to do this. We've already done the calculations. We'll do the insurance. We estimate 19 people will die, and we can afford it. Yeah, and it's better than 19,000, but if you're one of the 19 and I'm a good driver— yeah. I'd rather drive my car, right? So there's yeah. a freedom thing there. It's it's complicated for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's real complicated. And that's why it's so freaky to think about the small amount of people that are involved in the decision-making there when you really boil it down, just a few companies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But it's, uh, it's, it's real interesting. And then the platform thing, now that I'm thinking about that, is interesting too. Um, can you give your thoughts on the the uh, – you know, the competitors from Mac and Apple. To, I'll tell you what, I'm, here's what's on my mind lately. Yeah. I'm feeling like I'm going to get off of Macintosh computers. I think mm-hmm. uh, I think my wife uses, she works for a Microsoft subsidiary company, and she uses the Surface, and yeah. uh, Reva here just got a Surface, and I think I'm going to get one. And I'm just, I They're have nice. an iMac, and it's just not good. And I, I work in a building here that has a bunch of animators, and they've all abandoned Macs as their professional computers and are working on different Dells and things like that. And it's weird. It seems to me, and I know you're Google, not Apple, but I'm on the right track that Apple's kind of abandoned making really good stuff for professional creatives. Or, that would or be my like, personal opinion. Do you yeah. think that? No, too? I de- I definitely. I mean, I'm a, I've been a Mac guy mm-hmm. since forever, um, and I switch between iOS and Android every other year just for like my profession mm-hmm. and understanding the the ecosystems. I definitely think Mac used to be they used to token themselves as like the creative mm-hmm. machine, the person for the music producer, for the Photoshop person or the video person. They've turned that corner where they I, I call them a fashion company in arguments with my Mac friends because I, I think they care more about being cool and making it something that every college kid and Yeah, they're selling know, pink phones to 16-year-olds is worth more of their <laughs> engineering time than it is to, to make a Pro Tools computer for me. Yeah, and, and I do, like from as a design, as an experienced designer perspective, I do think if you want to design for the general public, you can't tailor to the pro user. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that like that's why Netflix is so vanilla, right? When I designed there, I wanted to do a lot of things that were for me and realizing that no, my kid and my grandma have to use this. It has to be more general. So you're you're gonna be limited on what you can do on a Mac or on an iPhone because they're designing for everyone. And they want it to be simple and intuitive and not have to make you think about things. Mm-hmm. If you wanna think about things and you want control and you want to customize, um, they're just not really making that easy anymore. Um, they're taking away options, right? Like they're taking away all your ports or taking away all your customization. Mm-hmm. They're marrying things together so you can't even upgrade them if you wanted to. And so I like I, I don't use any Apple services um, themselves outside of having an iTunes account to be able to get into a, a Mac device. But mm-hmm. uh, all my services are at least cloud-based, mainly Google. And I have 
four laptops now, like two two Mac MacBooks, um, a Surface, and a Chromebook, and I can move between all of those because everything's on the cloud, mm-hmm. and it just works great. And and any of those outside of Mac, I can build a crazy workhorse machine and do whatever I want on it, right? So you um, feel the most limited on Mac. Do you like the Surface? I do like the Surface. The touchpad for me, there's still a quality to Mac that is watched, it's still my main computer as a graphic designer, as a, you know, mm-hmm. doing UI and software stuff. They still perform the best for me, but it, it's definitely frustrating not having, like I have the older generation MacBook and I don't want the new one with the touch bar because I like my ports. And That's the part goofiest of thing I've ever seen is that touch yeah. bar. When I saw that come out, I thought... This is a computer that's lost from a parallel universe in 2009. <laughs> like it's like something they would have come out with in 2008 and and just in a parallel universe. Like and then yeah. they're trying to pass that off in 2016. It's like a joke. Yeah, I mean, I have friends that work there and I, I still think they're one of the best companies that knows how to do design well. I just think that they've lost a little bit of their vision like in a post Steve Jobs era and mm-hmm. uh I like I think the idea of a contextual input is great for computing. Where like if I'm in one environment versus another, like changing my input mechanism, be it a mouse or a keyboard, that's good. That provides a lot of functionality. But I don't think they had thought it all the way through. And so the you know the touch bar is one example of something that is more consumer friendly to me. That uh, is is just it's not for the creator, right? Like when they started when they changed Final Cut Pro, like they they bastardized that software from the leading cinema tool to mm-hmm. a you know a thing to make meme videos and like youtube videos in and it's it's fine if you want to make youtube videos but if you know you're a hollywood studio they just abandoned it right yeah, they moved right. to premiere that's what it feels um, like garage band was the same way and i think they're they're doing that with slow they did it with keynote i designed most of my ui in keynote when i was at netflix and they just can't do it anymore cuz they've taken away functionality to make it simpler which is good if you want simple yeah, I mean, I could see, I could see the argument for that. So um, let's talk about, you, you know, you're the guy with three kids. I get into arguments with people about how to deal with kids in tech. A lot of it's a, it's a topic I really enjoy <laughs> thinking about, um, and I don't mind doing, you know, little experimentation on my kids either. But how sure. do you deal with your kids as being somebody in this world and tech and and their learning and training and this is a comprehensive question it goes all the way from screen time for your little ones and to to what you think about them going to college i want to know your general thoughts from you and the people on your side of the industry that understand these things better than me and other people what's the prevalent thoughts over there on sure i mean I honestly don't have a lot of friends in tech that have kids. Most of them, <laughs> that might be that's, a problem. That's yeah. very true. Yeah, yeah. like that. And most of them that do have like one. Uh, I am the youngest of most of my like mm-hmm. tech colleagues, and most of them are just having their first kids. So they're like calling when they're me 40, for parenting right? advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that is a dynamic in itself. I I do think that access to information is is the best thing in the world. I think um, I would never want to limit tech to my kids. Uh, and so like my kid just got accepted into this um, lottery school and it's an engineering and science and tech. How old? He's just in kindergarten now, okay. but like in three years he can, they have like a drone program where he can stay after school and like build drones. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I, and he's very, I think he's very engineering minded. I want to like provide him every opportunity to be on a computer and tinker and, and learn. Like I think a lot of tech is similar to music in the sense that it's very DIY people just trying to figure shit out and, and being self-taught. And so 
I definitely want to even like put that on my kids, even though I want them to figure out who they are. Uh, as far as like screen time for my, my younger, even my oldest son, who's six, uh, I think that tech and games often are o- over sti- stimulant, stimulatory, whatever the word would be. It's, mm-hmm. it's too much for them uh, to, to understand and emotionally deal with. So we let our kids play on things. Uh, most of it's educational, but we time it so they have like an idea of, okay, I get to play with my tablet, but only for this much time. The timer goes off and I give it back. How, what's the timer though? How long is it? Depend- I mean, it's they probably max on a bad day where we're like really busy would be like two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that is movies. Some of that is um, games depending on, on what we're doing or if there's a babysitter. But, but in that time, if we don't set those boundaries on, and it's never like two, two hours, in like one session, it would be like a half an hour here and there um, without those guardrails, like my son, emo- maybe it's just my son, but he can't emotionally deal with it being taken away. Like it gives yeah. him so much satisfaction and it stimulates him so much. He emotionally can't deal without it. And so we're sensitive to it and I don't think we have it figured out, but I, I'm definitely not the person to like move away from it because I'm scared of it. I'd much rather figure it out mm-hmm. and hope, you know, allow them to figure it out with me. Uh, but it's, it's difficult yeah, yeah, well, it's interesting to see the younger, the younger, how young you can be and interface intuitively with it is so, it seems so right to me. <laughs> I know that oh, sounds, dude, I saw it just seems so right to see my, yes. to see a, my almost one-year-old figure stuff out, even just about the remote control. Like, she has this remote control to our TV, and she mm-hmm. has loved it, loved it. A fake one, she does not give a shit about. The real remote that she knows does something, she's obsessed with it, and she finally has gotten to where she can make it do stuff and see and she's like see i told you i know like yes. she knows it's real she knows it works she she feels satisfied yeah. she discovered it and i'm just so happy there's an for exchange her. There. yeah i'm just yeah. so happy for it you know and that's yeah. just a no, remote it, control not to mention when you know doing stuff on the actual device my four-year-old I mean, even way before she was four is getting so good at navigating on a tablet and using speech to text on yep. on the YouTube kids and she can just tell it she wants to watch a video right. of you know she asked me about tornadoes I say well let's yeah. look it up and she goes it hits it hits the thing say videos of tornadoes they come up and it's kids ones and they explain how they work I mean it's great yeah yeah no I so I'm on Android phone right now I bought both my kids we bought them like these fifty dollar shitty Fire tablet things for their games. And my wife calls it like lame droid, even though I was like, I worked for Android Mm -hmm. because she hates it because I'm not on iMessage and these things. Mm -hmm. And she'll tinker with my phone to do something and can't figure it out, right? And Mm -hmm. my sons are like, no, daddy, just swipe here, then hit the circle. And he knows how to use Android already. And most of my colleagues won't go from iPhone to Android. Mm -hmm. And because of the changed version, it feels too weird. Mm -hmm. So like the curiosity and openness just to figure it out, they they don't care either way. It's just a tablet, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't even have TV. So they they know how to like open Netflix, pick a movie, tap the Chromecast, push it to the TV. Yeah. It's not even like cross-device modality. Like they're fine with it. Is it because they're younger or because they're being designed for, or is that, is that just a uh, emergent property of simple design that kids can use it? Because, I mean, if you did design at Netflix, you did design at Google, are you thinking Mm -hmm. what is natural to a a child? Uh, I I think generally you want to design for things that that are like global usability like that. It's almost like designing for a child because – it, it just has to be simple. Um, th- in some cases, they actually are thinking about kids, like YouTube kids. They obviously are thinking mm-hmm. about those things. Uh, I, I think 
they're they know how to use it because there's no there's tech was a thing where it's like I'm not technical and so people already identify and like own this guilt of like I don't know how to use this even though it's not that hard it just takes a little bit of curiosity and so I think kids succeed at using tech because they're generally curious mm-hmm. and there's no there it's not failure for them they're just figuring it out and so I think that's generally that's why we true see, they don't see, feel stupid tra- yeah using it wrong like if you put some weird thing in front of me I get embarrassed quick because I, oh, I don't know how to do snapchat <laughs> right but they right. don't but if I gave you a new instrument you're all like oh it's just like play with this thing yeah. and they figure out how I can make the sounds I know, right? Yeah, so just to enjoy curiosity. it in, in that way. Yeah, and so it's just a thing. I, I just feel like, you know, we were using the, the Microsoft stuff with the pen and the where you can draw. Like, she loves to color, mm-hmm. but she can also draw on the surface. And I'm just thinking, well, this is so good because as soon as she finished her drawing, now we can talk about file management. I say, why don't you yep. save it? <laughs> what are you going to name it? Where are you going to store it? And I just, she'll learn all those things She'll know how to how understand directories and computer navigation on a yeah. file management way before she knows what those terms are. I mean, yes, and I just can't. Yeah, she doesn't even know why it's a folder, a file folder. Th- nope, right, or no why idea. it's called a file. But those that do don't under like my mother in law still does not understand when she downloads something that it goes into a folder and she's mm-hmm. like, where did it go? I was like, it's in a folder. Well, what is it? It's a file. Like these are literally mm-hmm. metaphors for They're just metaphors, in real life right. that you've used and you don't know how to use them in a digital context. Um, which for someone like, you know, if you're, if you're in your fifties or sixties, like you've seen a lot of change. I, I empathize a little bit with um, the resistance, but my dad's been always kind of a, a tech head. And so he's very an early adopter and willing to learn, but um, it's, it can be intimidating. Um, I think, I think it's curiosity that that it really makes tech adaptable. Yeah, it seems like the learning though, when you learn it, because you're already doing something and you didn't even realize you learned it, is the best kind, you know. Versus, oh, for oh, sure, better go to a tech class and learn file management. This is it's just goofy. There's a ton of serendipity of just like not being afraid to click a couple things mm-hmm. and figure it out is how you learn any software. So, um, I feel the same way in like audio software making music. I've always wanted to do it on my own. And it's just intimidating because there's mm-hmm. so many knobs and sliders. But people feel the same way about Photoshop or you know any other graphics program where I feel completely comfortable. So I suppose all those barriers are just going to keep shrinking, so everybody can do everything. But the, you know, I, I have a hard time limiting. I just I just have a really hard time limiting anything the kid wants to do. Now I understand a bunch of hours on YouTube kids is goofy, but you know Sure. But I, maybe not. Like I get a lot of pushback from people that say, No, it's it's bad. I know people that don't want to have their kids use computers until they're teenagers and stuff like that. And it just that just yeah. I just it's really confusing to me why you would think that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is probably too much of your answer because I listen to you talk too much during the week mm-hmm. in podcasting, but like I I do think there's potentially a concern of like human interaction where people mm-hmm. aren't interacting as much. They're not riding their bikes around the yard like I did, right? Mm-hmm. And we might see the cultural influence of that down the road, but it's not going to change. It's not, right. not going to – like the kids are going to use the computers at school. I want my kids learning how to type and using computers because they're going to have to when they grow up. So Yeah, exactly. Um, I like I understand the like... resistance to that. <laughs> like I totally get the resistance to that. But on the same time is, but this is what it is going to be like. So you may mm-hmm. not, even if you don't like it, it's still what it's going to be like. It's not going to be like your childhood. That isn't go- that isn't really a possible one you can give them. Right. But it, it, if I was to take the context of technology, the people thought I was stupid for being on Twitter when I started designing Mm-hmm. If I was like, oh, social media is dumb, I'd rather go out to dinner with my friends, 
I'd still be making $30,000 doing bullshit logos in the Inland Empire. Mm -hmm. Instead, I met a ton of people on Twitter. I shot conferences for free, took photos, and now I work at Google. Mm -hmm. Right? And that was only made possible through social networking. So you can say it's bad, but like trying to preserve what your experience was, I think, is is an empty fight. Yeah, it seems it seems that way. But people reduce like this. I don't know. People are just resistant to some kinds of change that just baffles me. It, it, yeah. It, it it's uh and they re- they want to reduce it and not let it be a complex conversation. So if you get into an argument, especially if it gets to be on a Facebook post or something like that, it's like it's like they'll say, well, if I share one of my ideas or say I think it's good for kids to use some cute computers, some they'll say they'll get in these side trails. Will say, well, porn. No, right, right. I don't feel like it's a good idea for my two-year-old to consume 10 hours in a row of porn on tablets. So that's why I'm staying away from tech. And it's like, well, that's not what, first of all, obviously that's not what I'm saying you should do. That's why you parent your kids. porn out of it, of course. But yeah, Yeah. not even that. But I mean, that stuff, like it's not a referendum on, well, I just think, you know, over 12 hours a day at six months old of screen time is too much. So I'm out on that. And just, it's just weird how the, you know, people don't allow for the nuance mm-hmm. of the conversation. But, they, just, but like they would never say that about reading books. No one would ever say right. 10 hours of a kid reading a book is bad. Right. But if you're ingesting information and learning through video, through multimedia experiences, through conversations with people you'd never be able to interact with the mm-hmm. world on, that's not a bad thing. And if it's just the screen that's the issue? Is that's, it just the screen? Like, that's what I'm saying. Not, what is it? It's not true. It's Yeah, because I yeah. always want to say t- say to people, and they don't like it when I say this, but I say, well, you know, text in itself is a technology. I mean, it's a form of technology to write yes, it on a scroll or pe- paper. The, even even the, the written language is a development that we had and a tool. It's just a tool. It's not even primary. Like we didn't. I mean, we have language, and then we start writing it down to pass it on to save it and show it later and draw it and commun- whatever it is. It's just a technology. It's just something we made up that's useful. Yes. And I'm not. And it's not. It's not going to not be around or useful. It's not like I'm saying let's let's eliminate books and make everything a video. But you have to face the reality of where where that text has got to be de-emphasized in the future but people regard it as it like like you said if you read for 10 hours you're a genius well and you don't have to understand the technology in its entirety to participate in it right like you don't have Mm -hmm. to make paper to write a note um you don't have to understand how skype works to have a video chat and so it's just communication one way or another and so i think there's this there because things are becoming more automated because um, technology becoming more sophisticated. There's people that have to still write that code. Mm-hmm. Like the ones and zeros are still there. There's still language. There's still written text. But the delivery mechanism is technology, and I think that moves faster than people are comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes a point of contention. So I mean, and obviously, there's good things about text there. And I was talking to somebody who made a real good point that it's fine to do talking like you do and just blab, 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 and that, and it's easy to listen to. But if you're going to do real deep thinking and philosophy and things that need to really be done and figured out, then the intentionality of going slow and having it documented in text is is super useful. And that may be true, but it also doesn't leave room for there may be new ways we hadn't even thought of yet to, to you know, well, that, catalog thing, deep right? information. Like, you used to have to, like, write things down for it to be analyzed and documented. Mm-hmm. But, like, 
YouTube already does this. If you upload a song to YouTube, it can identify and know that it's a copyrighted piece of music, mm-hmm. right? There's no there's no reason they can't transcript what we're saying now and put that in text. No, yeah, there's saying, a like, lot text? of podcast stuff that does it now. Like this will yeah. all be a transcript. It costs like $7. I can have this put into, yeah. you know, text transcript. Text is going nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's just being, it's being transferred in different ways. I, like g- there's computers that can look at a picture of a cat and know it's a cat. Mm-hmm. because they know from other pictures what a cat looks like, right? And so if the output is still cat, it doesn't matter whether it's a word or a sound or a video or a photo, it's still cat. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, I mean, that it's a little nerdy to think about if you've never thought about it before. Yeah, I heard that, that the the recognition has gone crazy in the last, like, six years as far as, like, yeah, that's computer the- vision's a huge part of uh, what people, it's machine learning, computer vision, it's a big part of, what makes VR and AR work well? Because they said, you know, if, you know, ten years ago, I was like, well, computers can't recognize things worth the shit. Nobody's, they're never going to be able to recognize faces and these kinds of things. And now it went from not even be able to tell the difference in a cat and a dog to like it, you know, it can analyze your face unbelievable, way better than a person. You know, it can tell the difference and better than you can in a human. Yeah, and I mean, scientifically, those like pattern recognition and cognition is very different. Right, just look at a picture and say, "Here's other pictures that look like it." Mm-hmm. That's not as intelligent as saying, "Here's a picture. What is it?" Right, mm-hmm. saying it's a truck versus like, "Here's other pictures of trucks." Is there's more complexity there, but in both scenarios, that's happening for sure. Do you have any knowledge or thoughts, or you text me about it the other day about doing more speech to text versus text, where that's headed? I mean, even within Chrome, like I think keyboards and typing in general is laborious and. There's no reason if we can solve those things with tech, you shouldn't have to type your name and your credit card and your address and these kind of things. Like assisting a user through a thing is a common um, value in most tech companies. And so we're definitely involved in some of those things on Chrome of making sure that you have your information. You don't need to type it. Obviously, voice, whether it's through Alexa or the Google Home, um, all these assistants is very much the future in my mind of searching and engaging with information. Um, I I have the Apple AirPod, EarPods, whatever they're called, mm-hmm. with my Android phone. I just say, okay, Google, I'm driving, and I just speak what I want it to do, and it does it, and it works well. Um, I, I don't see how, how we would regress to tying ourselves to a keyboard. Um, we're, we're kind of past it. Um, there's obviously things that need to be figured out but even they're doing like bone connectivity recognition for audio and a lot of different things what is that there's a couple products now even they talk about it with the airpods where um they're not only listening to audible things but they're they're tracking inaudible vibration through things happening in your skull to help understand the difference in sound um and i think this that will be the technology that allows voice to work well in noisy areas because it's not even oh. based on audio. It's both based on audio and vibration Whoa. and proximity. So there's already some products like I've been hit, getting, getting hit. There's one that like you can listen to music doesn't even go in your ear. It like goes behind your ear. <laughs> and it's like this, like you hear it through the vibration in your bone, which mm-hmm. I don't know if it's for an audio file, it's probably not ideal. No, but That makes um, sense though. I, let yeah. me see if I understand what you're saying. I want to think about that. The, you're saying that not... Okay, so one of the problems with speech and speech recognition is noise, background noise, knowing your voice from my voice. So if if I'm in this room talking and Reva's doing a phone call right now, but I also had a vibration sensor on a bone and behind my ear, it would pair 
what it was hearing from me with the vibration, and it would completely eliminate everything that Reva was saying because there's no corresponding vibration to that. So just in yes. to ice to isolate the source that that is the person itself talking would that would basically solve the background noise problem is that the idea correct yeah, yeah I mean, that's from my ignorant understanding but i know i mean they're selling it's this no secret they're selling it today it's and i'm it's only going to get better of course right? it's, it's just a thing so you think we'll see less keyboards like there'll just be less keyboards attached to things or less i mean how long am i going to be typing with my thumbs i'm so bad at that when am i going to be done <laughs> with that? i'm a bad typer too i don't i mean I think there's going to be a, ca- a case for a keyboard um, for a long time. I think uh, within mobile devices, more like consuming-based experiences. Not cre- like when you're creating, having a mouse and a keyboard or a touchscreen and a keyboard mm-hmm. uh, is going to be a thing for a long time because that it's really hard to write music with just your voice mm-hmm. or to oh, like yeah, design sure. a, an icon with your voice. Um, and in those situations, it's actually less efficient. But for most of the searching writing, reading, watching, a lot of those UIs um, are moving to having a, you know, just a a bubble in the corner that you can tap and talk to. Uh, it's why we talk to each other and we don't write each other notes back and forth mm-hmm. um, because it's more efficient and there's no reason our interaction with a It's just the listening engine, that's inefficient right now, but it's obviously right, easier. Right, the person's not hearing you. Yeah. yeah, if you can just talk, to, like your daughter can just talk to YouTube and tell it what it wants. Like I did the same thing with my son with submarines. He was like obsessed with submarines, so he said... Video about submarines and then Chromecasted it, and he doesn't know how to write anything. He knows his alphabet, but yeah, he was able to search for submarine videos. And so, that, like, before no he knows how to read, he can yeah. he can yeah. search for submarines. Yeah, right, Absolutely. exactly. Like that's a, that's a new thing to be able to do that. So it seems like I don't know. What about screens themselves? Are they going to be more? What do you know about that? Are they going to be more projected onto stuff or flexible? clear panels or where, where are they going to go? I feel like monitors are going to go away. Or Yeah, I, I mean, they're obviously getting smaller. With AR uh, maybe would be involved in that. Yeah, I, I think projection is, is more of like a sci-fi thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably not like qualified to speak about all these things. But in general, what I'm seeing in tech, obviously like there are different types of screens, whether it's like an e-reader screen that's very low energy versus LEDs that have like um, or what's the AMOLED that are like perfectly black, like vibrant screens. Um, Samsung's done some like crazy TVs that are paper thin that are literally like a poster. Mm-hmm. So that will definitely be a thing. Um, I think people, there's like this perception of what the future of tech should be based on sci-fi and, and mm-hmm. what we think that will look like. Um, the big issue is like, what is actually practical? Like, why would you want that? Like VR is, I think, a good case of like, why would you want VR outside of gaming or some like practical medical applications most most often it doesn't there's no real use case for it which everyone's in the game so you're but, low um, on vr uh, i i think it's cool i just don't see any cases where i'm like gosh i want to put on goggles right now and do this but what about ar um, ar seems to be way more promising to ar is way different right so if you just have to wear a pair of um glasses let's say in a future context and you're a gm and you're on a construction site, and they would probably look like the i'm just that uh, people aren't seeing you but they this shouldn't be too hard to get glasses that look just like yours they're clear right and then right. from your point of view you see terminator vision right Sure, sure. I mean, the the ability for a computer to map a space and project things on those space within mm-hmm. a certain um, visual thing, like the Hololens is already doing this really well um, with with Microsoft. And and if you've never experienced it before, it's odd because everything in your environment is still there. 
you have it now like through cameras, which mm-hmm. seems like a toy to me, but when you can actually go like on a, like I said, like on a construction site and you can see the plans of the actual blueprints within your real environment. Oh, like, I can't even imagine. That's Especially insane, somebody right? that, that does construction as a hobby. Like if you could look at, go walk into the middle of the project and know where the studs were and see the th- yeah. material thicknesses and the, the tensile strength and the, what sheer force this could hold. The level, the, just yeah, knowing the le- stuff oh, is level. Oh my gosh, yeah, right? unbelievable. Just alone. Yeah, just everything, yeah. you'd have level vision. Like you'd just focus on something and see mm-hmm. it was two degrees out of level or whatever. That'd be, un- yeah. I mean, it should be unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I know that there's like some VR things with like medical where people can do surgeries mm-hmm. remote. I think there's a lot of practical applications like that for AR, uh, but it... it it's still a long ways away. Like people are still just trying to use voice, right? And so there's mm-hmm. a lot of, a, like there's a lot of software development needs to happen for it to be done well. It's where you can actually rely on it. And then all this stuff to support that. So like, yeah, you might have AR glasses, the technology might exist, but you have to get the blueprints and all that documentation in a software to talk to that other mm-hmm. technology. So there's a lot of other software that needs to be built in other technology, but, um, but we can build it yeah. all, right? I mean, it just sounds yeah, like no, it'll just, it's going to take it'll some happen. time to do some of it. Some will be faster, some will be slower. I forgot to mm-hmm. ask you something else. I forgot while we were talking about kids, though, all the way up to Google's hiring and the way you said you networked and found people on Twitter and stuff like that. Do you see your kids going to college? I don't think so. I mean, I... I don't think college will look like it in the way it does mm-hmm. at the scale it does. I mean, a lot. Do, do they not even there. take? Uh, did I hear that correctly? That Google doesn't even look whether or not you. They don't consider you going to college as a, even a factor in hiring. They don't even ask on the resume or something like that. The, it's definitely usually a part of the requirement of, of some sort of formal training. Um, I think that's only because uh, there's not a lot of training for the types of things we do, mm-hmm. or there is more recently, but. I didn't go to school for software design. I went for like logos, traditional art. Um, there's now courses that are targeted towards this industry, obviously. But often if there's someone that's done it, DIY, and they were a web developer in the early days and they've built stuff, there's no reason they're not going to consider that person. So but it's through, certainly through not a requirement at Google to have gone to college. No. I mean, it's it's a part of their like application mm-hmm. funnel. But mm-hmm. if you're good and you've done stuff and you haven't gone to college, they're going to reach out to you before you even reach out to them. They um, go out and find people that are top performers course. that, of course. you know, whatever, didn't go to college. They're out, they're out yeah. there recruiting actively like that. Yeah. I mean, I know friends that were like singers of hardcore bands that were like leading design teams at NASDAQ. Mm-hmm. And like the head of external communication to Facebook, like was screen printing with Shepard Ferry, played bass in a punk band, and then like got got on the Obama campaign and then went to Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Like these are not traditional paths into to like a, a formal industry. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as it relates to education, I think that with the, the with internet and the evolution of like how we communicate information, like that's going to be brought online. So they might go to college, but it might be on a screen. Um, I definitely don't think there's going to be these old buildings where um, you have to pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to get an education. Hopefully, you know, there's an Amazon of education somewhere in some kid's head. Oh, yeah. Um, if you just wanted you know. to work in, you know, <laughs> augmented reality, I mean, good gosh, it seems like starting undergraduate, I don't know, it just seems... And it makes it more accessible. Like, one of the biggest issues with college is not everyone can go because it's expensive as hell mm-hmm. and it's regional. If you can make it digital and anyone can go and it democratizes cost, that's a win for everyone. Um, I don't, I can't see, I mean, everyone's going to fight it like every industry does when tech takes over, but I think it's inevitable. Yeah. 
For sure. Yeah. So what about, here's another thing I wanted to get into was, is, like you said, from your point of view, being a younger guy, having kids, having slightly different values, and we're at Netflix, stuff like that. And not that I'm particularly interested in the, in the faith dynamic of it, but you are a little bit different. I think you come from a Christian background and everything, yeah, um, yeah. as I do. And so what are your feelings on the political side or the what I hear a lot I hear a lot of criticism of tech for being too left too leftist right. too far over yeah. in that so what does it feel like over there in that is that uh, true is that a fair assessment or is that a, a bad picture it's definitely coming from no it's it, it there is like a trend I mean just being tech being out of San Francisco in the Bay Area it, it's you know by region more liberal and left mm-hmm. uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid in a, in a f- fairly conservative suburban California upbringing. So, um, I mean, I did the hardcore scene and, like, was in music, and that mm-hmm. was, if anything, my most liberal exposure of, like, um, you know, going against government and kind of this, you know, mm-hmm. punk rock attitude. But uh, being in tech was for sure the first time I had true relationship with people that thought different from me. So I, it was challenging and different, but I embraced it because I – I was seeking that, like I was tired of uh, of an overly homogenous environment, and so I, I I enjoy the fact that like I have a gay manager and a trans director, right? Like those are things that are very confusing and potentially offensive to my parents or to people that are from my past. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, th- I have never felt like threatened or silenced or ostracized because of coming from a conservative background. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't fit that mold either, like just being a cussing tattooed, um, sure. you know, dude. But uh, so I'm not, I don't, I'm not, people don't see me as very conservative, but there, I mean, there is obviously a large um, tone of, of liberalism or leftism um, inside of tech. But I, I think that it, that argument falls to any argument of like this clanist, you know, argumentative. They're all this way, and I just think that that's bad. That's bad semantics, regardless of what side you're coming from. Well, the um, that- cup, couple of things in that realm would be like, for instance, there's a lot of YouTube creators and podcasters and stuff that feel like their videos are being demonetized if they have a conservative vibe to it. Do you know what I'm talking about there? I've, you know, I've heard. Um, I've heard about some of that, and I had a, a friend reach out to me about it. Was asking questions. I've d- I don't I haven't done enough research to know. Um, I I do know like I have a lot of friends that work at YouTube. I I do know that they care a lot about their content creators, and I do know that they've had a lot of monetization things that have changed that have that have screwed with a lot of people that aren't just having conservative content. Um, there's people that mm-hmm. have made careers as content creators, and whether it's censorship for like explicit you know, content being, you know, pornographic or um, bad language or whatever. There's lots of people that have had videos taken down and unmonetized. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the concerning part is if it's conservative thought and they're saying that's hate speech or different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a hard line that I think, I mean, Facebook's dealing with this now too. Like having a platform and letting people speak on your platform is different than the rules and how you control and like police that platform. And I think there's a, even non-technical, there's a huge difference between freedom of speech and hate speech. 
So like at which point do you censor, right? Like if tech mm-hmm. is a gun, what does gun control look like? You, we all want it. We all want the right to use it um, and ha- reserve that right. But if that, if that technology starts to hurt people, how do you deal with that? How do you regulate that, if at all? And I think that's been a, a co- I mean, being a part of Chrome even now, we're a big advocate for the open web. Um, we, you can use our software and not have any affiliation with Google. Um, and that matters to us from like an open internet perspective. Uh, and, and so like, there's a lot of shit on the web. Mm-hmm. Are, are we going to censor it? No, like we're just, we're just a viewer for the web, right? That's the web. Um, but you know, Twitter's had this issue. Facebook's had this issue, especially with like all, all the politics of the last 18 months. Um, it becomes a hard thing because what, what do you choose to take down? What do you let stay? Um, and I, I definitely don't have an answer or hardly even a perspective. It, it's really hard to understand the complexity of all of, all of it. But um, I think in general, if there is censorship, it's because people think that other people are getting hurt because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on which side of that argument you fall, it's censorship or one is like good or bad, you know? Well, I try to sort it out in my head and look for the bias and think of the way people are thinking. And it's hard for me to believe that there's a team of people over there watching YouTube videos and deciding, let's get them, or I disagree with those politics, let's take away their money. That seems too conspiratorial to me. And I I imagine it's more algorithmic than that anyway. And so accidentally somebody who's talking about this thing gets flagged as something they may have thought wrongly was hate speech or something like that. But then on the other hand, it's it seems like they would, I don't know, it, it, it seems a little bit funny. And then, of course, there's the, the issue with the James Damore thing, which I won't make you mm-hmm. talk about, but I would ask you, um, so if people don't know, James Damore was a Google engineer, and he wrote a memo that talked about the diversity in tech and, and said some things along the lines of there's different, there's some differences in men and women that account for why there's less female engineer stuff like that. The memo went public. It was a big story and he was fired for it, which seems crazy to me from my point of view of what I heard and what I've read in that and what I've heard, how I've heard it covered. That seems insane to me. So that almost gives more credence to the other thing. Like, man, maybe they are real left and try to have just views that they're trying to push through their tech, but that doesn't really all add up to me. So I wonder if there's anything you would say about that without. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I will share is that it's been interesting being at Google when that happened because there was an immediate assumption because I come from a conservative background that I feel threatened and I'm being mm-hmm. silenced, which <laughs> definitely isn't the case that people reach out and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. Like, what like do you mean? Next. How am I doing? <laughs> because every Christian at, at, at Google obviously is being silenced. Yeah. Um, I think that's crazy. I've, I've seen more acceptance and diversity. I've worked with... The, I'm usually the minority on most of my teams, um, not only as um, a man, but as a white man. Uh, and that's within design. It's very different than engineering and those stats that show the, you yeah. know, the difference between um, men and women in tech. And I think the thing that is hard is that I've seen a lot of, a lot of efforts to change that. Like Google is very transparent and put numbers out long before of all of this because they want to change it. And so to see people fighting it, saying that they don't care, for me sucks. I'd be like, no, they actually do probably more than other industries, but there's- They do what? They care about what? Uh, about diversity and have like done a ton of, they've published numbers so that like all of tech could understand it. And like Google basically pressured- these other big tech companies release their numbers of diversity so that mm-hmm. we could acknowledge the issue and talk about a solution. 
Um, but it seems, think- but it comes across that they have this agenda for diversity at the expense of people like James Damore and and like it it feels it feels weird from from the outside. Like, yeah. I mean, I, the Del, the Demore thing, I think, was complicated because there was the memo and how that memo was shared and the, mm-hmm. the hubbub around that. And then there's him getting fired. And they're obviously related, but I don't think the motives were the same. Um, I personally know a lot of people that were hurt by it. I think, I mean, the, the CEO said that they got fired. I could We could pull up the, the, the actual press release. But mm-hmm. basically, he, um, what is it? He... He um something to do with like um hate speech or bad speech that or makes people feel uncomfortable at work or something like that. So it wasn't that he wrote it. I think it was more how it was um, communicated. Um, I've had very hard com- conversations with lots of my colleagues um, that were not censored. That I was able to talk to my boss and my managers um, that might not even been like um, agreed on thoughts, but. Um, I didn't write a memo and release it to the entire world. Um, and I know that he did some of that as well. So it's a very, like, hairy issue, and um, I am, can no way, like, represent Google in it. Sure. Um, but I definitely don't, like, I. a lot of the things he said that he felt as a conservative inside of Google could be nothing but more from, different from my experience. Um, mm-hmm. That, yeah, right. that's interesting. So you don't feel necessarily like you feel like you could for okay. Th- this is actually might be helpful. You feel like you could go around internally and talking openly with your conservative views with no worries. You feel like that is true for you at least. Yeah, no, I like the last month I had we have like one on ones with our managers. My manager is I would say a liberal um, gay white man, and we had a full hour talk about my crisis of faith and me figuring out how I identify in this world as I grow into an adult. And that was fine and not offensive to him, even though we probably disagree on certain things. Um, and not, not even related to like his sexualities in general as, as people. Um, and that was his job to like, hear me out, understand what I'm going through in life. And mm-hmm. like, I, I, and I admire him for that as a manager and I'm not flagged. <laughs> right, right. Flag, saying, oh, right. watch out for Joel. This guy, he's talking about Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. be careful. Yeah. Right? He said, hey, we have another designer that shared this thing at one of our internal conferences about, you know, his crisis of faith. You should talk to him about it. Right? Mm-hmm. And, like, encourage more conversation. So, like, it's those kind of, like, personal experiences where, like, you see these you know, clan type arguments. It's kind of like, nah, it's, you just don't know. Yeah, I, don't I'm know. Sure, sure there's more to any of story like that than, than you would would or could know. But I'm glad to hear that. And it's not because I'm all for conservative values. I don't really feel like I would think of myself as conservative or as a conservative. But maybe in an environment like Google, I would be more conservative than some other people in some ways. Mm-hmm. But I'm not really sure. But I'm, yeah. I'm I guess I'm more offended. I'm 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 more offended that people would assume Google has like this overarching initiative because that's not the truth. Um, I am concerned about censorship, and I think it's been a hard thing of like, what do you censor? How even with like protesting, one thing is okay to protest, the other thing isn't. How 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 much do we allow people to be hateful and ignorant and mean? Um, it's on both sides, and I, and I think that the internet has to deal with those yeah complexities just as culture does of when it's okay to walk onto a on a highway when it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I, sticky I'm stuff. very, yeah, I'm very free speech. Like I, I personally hate the like punch a Nazi movement. I think that, I think that's asinine. I think 
that is what makes us complex and American is that we can say any stupid shit we want. Um, and, and, and if it's not hurting people, then hurting mm-hmm. people physically, right? Like, yeah, that's the people one of the can think what they want. Like it's hard. No, I know. The, well, it, you know, is, is speech, you know, are words violence in the same way that physical violence, violence, it's, they're just not, it isn't. I mean, you can make some arguments that some words are in some ways, but you can't just, the leap we've made to conflate words and physical violence as equal is, that is not good. <laughs> that is not a or good. Or even that it's the same in every scenario. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's it's complex. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is that the, the things that are happening in culture are just manifesting themselves in tech. And I don't yeah. think in, any of those problems are specific to tech itself. Yeah. And I'll, I'll let you off the hook on that. I'm not, I wasn't trying to press you on that, but it's worth, it's no, certainly, it's fine, I'm yeah. certainly interested in it. And, uh, you know, it's, it kind of is the thing where, like you said, how you operate on the internet is not really different than the rest of the world. And I've noticed this for a while that it's like things at first you call them, Oh, like e-shopping or, or something. And that, and it just turns into (laughs) shopping. It's just something that was virtual. This, the word virtual just goes away. It's just, it is a digi. Right. It's not the, Oh, a Oh, a digi. I had a digital conversation with Joel. No, I'm just talking to you. Right. And that go, it's always these designators at first that, that, that are virtual, electronic, digital, um, all those things. And they just go away. And it just is reality, which is crazy. But so, yeah, you know, we have these technologies that aren't quite there. And we don't have the, we don't have the technology has progressed and does progress so fast that the requisite amount of manners aren't there like we had thousand years to deal with like how does courtship work and what do you do when you go to somebody's house like houses haven't changed in a thousand years i mean you go through the threshold you knock on the door how do you what do you act like before dinner when do you put take your coat off we have centuries to develop these things and now we're interacting on these way too things that happen and we nobody knows what they're doing cell phones first came out it was like people would talk on them in line and try to order it's like what's going on is that good or bad or you know people talking around walking talking on bluetooth headsets and they sound like crazy people and they're kind of getting used to that now but it's going to move on and then there's going to be ar glasses and everything else so you know Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's something we're going to catch up with or if we'll always be behind in the way we look at and behave digitally you know yeah no i think the speed the speed of of change creates chaos um and you see it with adoption of technology you see it with uh, evolution of culture people are sharing ideas be them good or bad quicker um and the the pace of how you can understand process and come out to a conclusion is less forgiving Mm -hmm. as things speed up and so um I don't know if it eventually slows down. I think it will work itself out. But I think that's why you have such things aren't digital anymore because there is hardly any more analog. Um, most things are digital. Um, most things are digital. <laughs> that it, I mean, there's there's like analog things life. Yeah. As it relates to tech, as technology, like you have some buttons, mm-hmm. but like even the iPhone got rid of their button. Like mm-hmm. things are gestural and referential they're not actually physical yeah well i mean um, we there's may a square head- of me but like i'm not actually here That's so most right. of interactions with technology are there's hardly any analog aside from a keyboard there's rarely analog interactions with, with technology i don't know if there's a metric of, of how you would actually measure that but as far as significant experiences go things that matter mm-hmm. i wonder what percentage of them are digital to me like if you include all the interactions I've had over text messages and Skype and yeah. email and things I've consumed through TV and just texting my wife, I mean, there's real interaction there. And then there's the 
I do look at a real mountain sometimes. I do hike on it. I do throw my daughter up in the air. I wonder if there's some metric we could ever use to quantify. I mean, it's obviously shifting, but I mean, I wonder what percentage of significant experiences I have that just are digital. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's well, I I would say that you could even say that that we're purely like how many how many interactions have you had that aren't digital that had no relation to being digital, like. I might throw my kid in the air, but the picture my wife took of it that I see Even five that, years later, that's right. that is like the same feeling I get. So that's when it's like, is one better than the other? Maybe. It's better um, than the but memory. Almost or helps with them. It's assisted though. Like that's a memory. It's an assisted memory. It's not just a picture. It's a picture that helps your with neurons and your own experience. brain reconfigure to remember that moment better, which is the best part about tech is when it's yeah. like uh, symbiotically working with you to enhance real life, I suppose, is probably the best stuff we've got. Yeah. Not yeah. not necessary, but we get scared if it's substituting, and it's it's some really unless really weird we're all in simulation, Matt. Well, I mean that's then. <laughs> that's what I'm saying is like maybe we just go there. Any like what will be the difference if it's like if all the virtual designations eventually get dropped? If you go, you, oh, you know, fast forward. I say I went on vacation. I went to Monaco. I jumped off the cliffs here. Oh, you mean virtually? Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't actually fly there. Are you crazy? Right. You know, like that. That'll Expensive. just be. That'll be. Yeah. We. Of course, I didn't like actually get on an airplane. I'm saying I went to jump off the cliffs in Italy in the south of France, and then I went to the moon real quick. You know, that was my vacation. Mm-hmm. That was great. You know, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you can listen to music through your headphones, and you can see a live performance. Right. There's other experiential thing. elements to that, but mm-hmm. if those can be simulated, it's the same damn thing. That's right. Eventually, you'll see sim- yeah, all that. So it's 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 going to be insane. I hope we don't create more problems than we solve, but uh, that that's the kind of the race. We'll see. So we'll see. <laughs> well, Joel, we thanks for see. your time today. I enjoyed catching up with you. We'll do it again. Yeah, my pleasure, man. It was great talking. Right on. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading! Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s, and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested. 
through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.